This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go! Cody Bellinger hits one out. Beat So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Cast Live here on a Friday as we're going to entertain you for the next two hours. We will then repeat the show for people later on who are not able to listen right now. And then later tonight, we are going to re-air the famous Dallas Braden perfect game, the 19th perfect game in baseball history. It is a jam-packed Friday. Our historian, Dave Feldman, another edition of Green and Gold History Top 10 is going to be here at 1.30. One of the greatest pitchers of his time. And doesn't get a whole lot of love when you talk about guys that were tremendous 60s, 70s, Louis Tiant is out with a new book and got a chance to talk to Louis, son of Havana, a baseball journey from Cuba to the big leagues and back. Won 229 games, pitched in some really big games. He's got a career war of 66.1. He's got some numbers that are better than guys that are in baseball hall of fame. And his journey trying to get away from, Fidel Castro in Cuba, and what's it like when he first got here and the things that he faced, racism, language barrier, all the things that went into that, and then just how he persevered into being one of the best pitchers of his time. And we'll talk about, you know, coming up and always wanting to face Mickey Mantle and face some really tough A's teams. So Louis Tiant will be here at 2 o'clock, and then we continue our coverage of breaking down every Major League Baseball team. We decided to do this when we were on our little hiatus. We said, okay, what division do we want to start with? Well, let's start with the National League. As we get closer when the season starts, it's when we'll start wrapping up into the American League. So we decided to do, why not do the NL West? NL West. We'll work from west to east. Uh, after this, we'll start the Central, and then we'll go to the NL East. So we've done the Arizona Diamondbacks. We've done the San Francisco Giants. Today, we'll do the San Diego Padres. And Tony Gwynn Jr. is going to join us. And if you were like me and you watched the 20th win from 2002, Tony Gwynn Sr. 
the Hall of Famer was on the call with Dan Schulman. Totally forgot about that. So it was like, if if you watched it yesterday and you listened to Tony Gwynn, wait, Tony Gwynn Jr., former big leaguer himself, now does television and radio for the Padres, sounds just like his father. I mean, it's like, it's like wow. Uh, so we'll talk about San Diego because they are interesting. I mean, they have one of the best player, young players in the game, Fernando Tatis Jr. They've got a guy that still is one of the premier players, no matter how you feel about him, Manny Machado. Uh, I will talk about a scouting report, uh, a scout's view of Jerickson Profar which finally someone kind of sees it the way I think I think they should see it. And they've got pitching talent. They've got one of the top farm systems, if not the best farm system in baseball. But what does that all matter? Can you catch the Dodgers? And if you can't catch the Dodgers, now you're thinking wild card. And I think any of these teams that are in the NL West, if they could grab a wild card spot, and there might be more wild cards this year, You know, something that we need to get into is that this could be a year. And Aaron Boone recently said it on the radio. God, what station was he on? But Aaron Boone talked about, hey, if you if you want to experiment. This is the year to experiment. Let's see, Aaron Boone. So so he told MLB Network Radio. On Sirius XM, he said, if this is the year you guys want to try something where they've talked about expanding the playoffs to where you'd have seven teams from each league. By the way, Tony Wynn Jr. at 2.30. So Feldman at 1.30, Louis Tion at 2 o'clock, Tony Wynn Jr. at 2.30. But if there was ever a year that you wanted to expand some stuff and try some stuff, this would be it. Now, the good news is, first of all, Commander Cody, how are you? I miss you. I I miss you, too. This is the first day we're doing – the show from different broadcast locations, which is uh, 2020 now for everyone. It's real. It's a realistic goal. Um, I have a studio audience in my apartment. Um, it's great. Keep but, that uh, dog quiet. Yeah, she was. Leia was a little loud and rumb- rambunctious while we were uh, talking earlier, but she'll be under control now. But um, it, I'm doing great, and this is you know kind of the times we're facing where we're going to be working at different locations, but. We're able to make it work, which is the best part. And uh, good news yesterday, I didn't get to tell you this, I found toilet paper, so I will not run out of toilet paper in the near future. Okay, well, yeah, because you used all mine. Yeah, Well, that's true. I had to borrow some. Um, yeah, w- w- we need to. We weren't doing this, and shame on me. I should have made the call earlier, but we weren't doing – um, our, our social distancing and finally made the decision that, you know, people are going to be listening to us and we're in the same studio and in a crammed area like we are. I mean, my studio can fit about three people if we cleaned it out. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we're, so we are not in the same room, but we're doing what everybody should be doing. And I think what, what's happening in New York, you know, it was, it, it's happening in New York and it's spreading so fast. And, you know, having just been to New York in February and when you ride subways and you see all the cabs and you see everybody on top of each other, you can see how this thing can get out of hand. And it's one of the good things that our governor, Gavin Newsom, did what on March 15th when he pretty much put us all on lockdown. And, you know, that was a very, very good idea because they were not doing that in New York. And unfortunately, 
uh, the virus has spread very, very fast, and it's going to continue to spread. But I think what we're seeing in baseball is they're starting to get prepared to be able to play. We still have, you know, March, today's March 27th. You know, I can't tell you how many times in my career I watched the basketball national championship game on a Monday night at the Coliseum, you know, the tournament, you'd have the final, you know, final four, they play on Saturday, two winners go on, games on Monday night. That's when we used to open up. And it was even later than that years ago. So now we have the players union agreeing to things that are going to help get the season when they think they can go, whether there's going to be fans or not. They've got parameters that now the owners are going to have to sign off on, which I believe they will. But basically, Manfred, the commissioner, and the players' union have come to uh, a working agreement on what could happen this year in a shortened season. The players have agreed to a prorated salary in 2020 as the season as the season is shortened, and they're going to get up front. There's going to be 170 million dollars lump sum in advance that they will spread out for the players, depending on what your contracts are. And then we'll go from there. And really what the the major thing that happened is that the players, because you don't get paid, like they were supposed to start, this would be the first time they start getting paid is when you play a game, which is yesterday. That's when you start getting paid is when the season starts. And actually, the commissioner has a clause. It's called the uh, commissioner has the right to withhold salary in a national emergency. I mean, there was a way that they would just say, hey, we don't play, you don't get paid. And baseball didn't want to do that. And in these negotiations, somebody's both sides got to give for what's best for the game. And. Essentially, what players viewed as their most important thing is service time. That was the one thing they wanted. The fact that if we play very little games, whether we play, let's say we play 162, or we play 142, or we play 82, whatever it is, they're still going to get their service time. So you're one year closer to free agency, or if you're a guy like Mookie Betts, no matter what happens, let's say they even cancel the season, Mookie Betts will still be a free agent after this year. And for arbitration, this was a big thing for the players. They were willing to sacrifice full salaries in 2020 to be able to look forward to getting them one year closer to free agency and arbitration to get paid. Now, a lot of the guys who already have contracts, you know, you name some Mike Trout, John Carlos Stanton. I mean, the guys have been getting paid big money. These guys, they're, they're fine. The service time is for guys that are trying to get to that big money. And so I'll read a little bit from The Athletic as Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich, both friends of the program have been all over this for the athletic. And I think this right here is really what you need to know. 
because we know the athletic can be a little wordy. And I don't know if you want to. We now have time to read every word <laughs> that we didn't before. But now we have we've got all day to read these things. So I'm going to read you two paragraphs. The turning point for the players was when the league agreed to grant service time in the event of a canceled season, allowing players to continue toward free agency and arbitration. The number of days a player received in 2019 would be the same number he would receive in 2020. The players will also earn a full year of service in a shortened 20 season, regardless of how many games the schedule includes. That was the big deal. Still, the players' gain in service time came at a price. They yielded on their full salaries for 2020, probably a wise decision, and I think this says it all, probably a wise decision considering any of their financial demands would have come across as tone deaf with the economy in peril. There might all, their case might also have been weak based upon language empowering the commissioner to withhold salary in a national emergency. Totally makes sense. Everybody got together. We're in this together. We're going to get through this together. I'm going to give a little. You're going to give a little. God, isn't it? It, it, it just makes me think back to, to those times when I was a kid and then into the 90s where there wasn't give and take. And they, they, they didn't realize, I think, back then how precious this sport and really all the sports, how, how, how really precious they are. And it's not till they take it away that you realize, God, we were stupid. In these negotiations, everybody needs everybody need to have some wins. I mean, my God, we canceled a World Series in 1994. Looking back on that now, how stupid was that? And everybody looks back on that. They had so much labor strife in the 80s. They, it was so easy. Oh, we're striking. Oh, we're locking you out. The two, the, the two were tone deaf. As of, I mean, last night, I've been, I've been getting ready for the show, so I haven't watched much news today. But, you know, almost 3.3 million people filed for unemployment. Think about that. 3.3 million people. And it's going to be more. If you're the players and you're talking about money and you have financial demands and people aren't working, and you already have, for the most part, a lot of money in the bank, tone deaf. It would have looked really, really bad. And I think what they're setting this thing up for, and because it gets into a whole nother level of, and this happens for every sport, is you have your national and your local TV contracts. And that's why I think you're you're hearing, you know, looks like going to be sometime in May, late May, going to get this thing going again. It doesn't, you know, whether there's fans or not, I don't know. There's certain baseball columnists are putting that out there. But the number one thing that they had to agree to was how is this going to look going forward? Because... If you didn't have this template in place and all of a sudden you go, okay, we're ready to play, 
there would have been too many too many questions and that where there could have been infighting and now here come the agents now the fact that they have this template and now the owners have to agree the players have agreed now the owners agree now we just wait for when they're going to allow us to start playing baseball again so this was big today i know it's something that to most baseball fans you don't care about i get it but it's something that we need to talk about because this was big. And you know what? We really won't talk much more about this, but this had to get done. Because there's other stories in the game that I think are far better. Business getting done, dot and I's crossing T's, that, you know, that's good. But then we move on as fans. And I absolutely love, you know, in times of need, we have seen this through a lot of different conflicts, wars, tragedies, where other people step up and help out doing things that they don't do to help everybody else. And wanted to applaud this story about Fanatics. Fanatics is the company that makes Major League Baseball uniforms. They have suspended production on jerseys And instead, polyester mesh fabric, they're taking that now to make masks and gowns for hospital workers right now in Pennsylvania and nearby states. So they have a picture, and it's these gowns that are basically Yankee, the white Yankee pinstripe and the white uniform. I do believe the Phillies have don't they don't they have a version that is a pinstripe too? It's a red pinstripe. I uh, want to say. I believe you are correct in that. Yes. And they show two hospital workers wearing this, and I want to applaud anybody out there, any company that is out there is helping and helping to get us over this, and that's pretty cool by Fanatics. And I bet once they really start getting the production going that they should be able to start making more than just for around Pennsylvania, around the Pennsylvania area. So Fanatics developed a prototype that was approved by the state's emergency agency. And by Tuesday, the company halted productions on all jerseys when you're talking about making these masks and these gowns. So that is a definite positive right there. That is a story that's great to see. So when we talk about some changes that could happen, what they've been looking at is essentially having seven teams in the playoffs from the National League and seven teams from the American League. And I know whenever we start talking about expanding playoffs, people go, I don't like that idea. I get it. People don't like change. But as Aaron Boone said, if you're ever going to do something like that and you want to see if it works, why not in a year like this? Because this year is going to be strange. I mean, we literally have no, like, in Sports Weekly, they have a, a really good article. It says, what will baseball season look like when it returns? How are they going to do the scheduling? Because if you just say, okay, we return take a date and all those games are now gone that were on the schedule. 
you're going to have, and and they use the example of the Yankees and the Rays. And the Yankees and the Rays should be the two teams battling out for the AL East. So if the Yankees season begins on June 1st, that wipes out two scheduled series at Tampa, seven games. And that leaves the Rays, that leaves them with three series in New York. So if you're talking about having an equal schedule, which it may not happen, I don't know what baseball is going to do. But if you're trying to make this as legitimate as you possibly can, how can the Yankees not have to go to Tampa as much and Tampa has to go to New York? Total disadvantage. Another one, if the season begins on June 15th, the New York Mets schedule has them playing nine more road games than home games, including three separate West Coast trips. You might just have to swallow it, or baseball's got time to get creative. They truly have time. And that's what this article talks about. But the whole playoff thing, you'd still have three division winners and you'd add two more wild cards to the National League and the American League. So out of the seven teams, the team with the best record, they get a bye. So that means, I don't know, doesn't matter whether it's, let's let's just call it Dodgers in the National League. If I had to bet right now, I'd probably say they're going to have the most wins in the National League, in the American League. Now with the Yankees being able to get healthy, could be Yankees, could be the A's, could be the Twins, could be could be the Rays. So that would leave you a team with a bye in the first round, and that gives you six other teams in each league playing three different series, three series in the National League, three series in the American League. And it's a best of three. That'd be pretty exciting. And it's different. See, normally when we bring these things up, everybody flips out about change. I don't like change. Change is always met with opposition. But this might be a year where we don't have that, where we might understand. We want to get as much baseball as we possibly can. We may get to a point that if we're playing in November, that they may go like Super Bowl style or college football, where it's a neutral site. Because I think of places you could play, I'm thinking L.A., Anaheim, San Diego, so Southern California, and Texas. Obviously, you have Arlington, and you have Houston. They both have roofs. You're not going to play in Tampa, and you're not going to play in Toronto. And I don't want to leave our good friends up in the Pacific Northwest out in Seattle, beautiful Safeway, uh, Safeco now T-Mobile Park, which is beautiful, but they're one of the major hotspots with the coronavirus. So I doubt they would go play postseason in Seattle. So that I gave you five destinations right there. And so after these quick three-game sets, you would go to the NLDS, NLCS, and then you'd play the five-game series. And then the ALCS, NLCS, 
and then the World Series. Cody, what do you think about implementing that this year? Test it out. A lot of playoff games. We don't know where we are going to be from lockdown situations or stay at home, stay in place. But looking to, okay, this is going to be a weird season anyway. Let's see how it works. And and I bet there are going to be people. Hopefully people are going to games at that point. But I think in a season like this, if you said, hey, there's a playoff game in Anaheim and it's the Yankees up against the Twins, I bet more people, we're going to want entertainment and we're going to know the the government uh, is going to want us to try and get normalcy back in our lives. I can see people in, this may not be the norm, but I could see trying something out this year. I'm with you. I think that having the opportunity to have more teams in the playoffs and the warmer city climates is great because who wants to see a playoff game potentially played in New York or Minnesota and it gets postponed because of snow? Uh, fans aren't tuning in for that. They're tuning in for the Yankees and Twins playing a series in Anaheim or San Diego. or well, Do- we, we probably figured the Dodgers are going to be in the playoffs, so Dodger Stadium might be off the table, but who knows? By the way, I just thought of another one. They got a roof. Arizona. That oh. gives us six legitimate options, and you could make essentially – I mean, Scott Boris talking about playing the World Series on Christmas Day. Um, you really would be guarded against bad weather with the three sites of Arlington, Houston, and Arizona if you're talking well into November. Could be even December. I mean, these games are getting in for sure. Yeah, another part, too, I think they have a – Milwaukee, right? I would say That's Milwaukee like has Milwaukee. a re- retractable roof. And, I, and so Seattle does, too, though. T-Mobile is a retractable roof. Yeah, also. I think the way Seattle's been, Seattle, Washington's been hit really hard. That yeah, and plus, I, I, that's I, a, I see them probably staying away from there. And that's a logistical nightmare, probably in Seattle, if the Seahawks are playing a regular season game, also. But yeah, Milwaukee is great because a lot people love Miller Park. It's a, it's a great looking ballpark, and they have a retractable roof. That'd be a great place to play playoff games. I I like this whole idea of having you know the more teams out of the playoffs. So I was with that whenever they were talking about doing that before we had all this go on. I think it's good for the game, giving more teams a chance. Because if you're a team, you know, hovering around 500, but you know, you could be a playoff team at the end. I think it's good, and I I completely agree. Playing at warm climate places to get normalcy back in the country, I'm all for that. How about this? Now this will this this will this will freak baseball people out. How about this? How about get rid of the divisions, and you just have the NL, and you have the AL. And you stack the playoffs basically like the NBA. And you seed them one through seven with with that top seed getting a bye. But everybody is seeded based, up, based off your record. And if you have ties, you have tiebreakers and everything. But for this one year, you're not going to be the American League West champ or, or the American League East champ. You're just going to – you're going to play. And how you win is how you're going to stack up. And the top seven teams – uh, and, and, and each league move on to the postseason. Uh, all for that as well. I think the taking eliminating the divisions is, you're right, a lot of people will not like that. I know the NBA is kind of, that's something that's been discussed in the NBA, getting rid of the conferences and just seeding one through 16 so you can have potentially the Lakers would play the, I don't know, the, the Orlando Magic in the first round as a 1-16 matchup. I think doing that in baseball is great too because we saw it a couple years ago, and I, I'm not going to bring it up because I'm a fan of the team, but we saw the Cardinals win 100 games, the Pirates won 98, and the and the Cubs play 97, and the Cubs and Pirates were in a wild card game. 
after winning 98, 97 games. We saw it with the A's the last couple of years winning 97 games. I think that doing seeding them one through seven, I think it makes it much more, and I think it makes it better for team. It's not penalizing teams that are winning games playing behind teams that are better in the A's sense with Houston last year. And in New York, with Tampa Bay winning 96 games and they're playing behind the Yankees, I, I like the idea of one through seven because it makes it more even for teams playing and it gives them a chance to not have to play a one-game wild card. So our A's historian, Dave Feldman, is joining us next, and we're going to do, what, one-hit wonders? That is correct. One-hit wonders with a focus on blunders is what he was telling me. <laughs> I love it. A little green and gold history right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Sean Benaya. Sean Benaya has no hit the Red Sox. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. What a night that was against the Boston Red Sox. Speaking of no-nos, how about a perfect game? Dallas Braden, today at 6 o'clock, Mother's Day. The 19th perfect game will be replayed today at 6 o'clock here on A's Cast. It's one thing I've really been enjoying, just watching all these classic games. You know, it was funny. We were having dinner last night, and I brought the computer, and and normally my wife would be like, really, you're bringing the computer? Well, I, I, I had my kids watch Moneyball, which that was an experience all to its own, to where... Literally, like, every two, three minutes, I had to pause it. Did you know that Moneyball could be over four hours long when you have to answer a question, like, every two, three minutes? Like, my kids are 14, and they watch the certain shows that, you know, The Mass Singer, uh, Survivor, people are themselves. and when I was going through the movie Moneyball with them, oh, yes, yeah, so that guy, I know that guy. I mean, I mean, all these people have been on my show at some point. Like Grady Fuson, who we just had on the show down at spring training, plays a ton of golf with my brother and my nephew at San Diego Country Club. So I'm like, yeah, your, your uncle's pretty close with that guy. And it's like, well, no, not that guy. That guy's the actor. But the but the, the actual person, <laughs> it's not that guy. Like they've known, my kids have known Billy Bean since they were born. But you know Brad Pitt's not really Billy Bean, and so we got we explained that throughout the movie, and uh, and so I I actually had the computer at the dinner table because we were having dinner when uh, did you know Scott Hatterberg was going to go deep? Yeah, it was funny. Dan Schulman and Tony Gwynn. In that inning, we're talking about how it just feels like the the the, the athletics are going to, they're going to win. And then as, I mean, it was like almost on cue. Boom, Hatterberg hits the home run. And you got to think that's not even, you know, obviously Cleveland now has the American League record. I guess the, it, it was the two oldest records was the New York Giants at 26, but they got like a tie in there. And then the other one was the Cubs, how many games they won in a row. But just to not lose a game for 20 straight games in baseball, 
is really incredible. Do we have Feldy? Not yet. I'm efforting to get him still. Um, let, okay. I'll keep. I'll I don't keep want to just him. be rambling and he's sitting there waiting. No, he's not. Uh, I'll let you know when we have him. CBS Sports has a good article about about the history of baseball and a layoff, which obviously we're going to have, could be affecting some guys and their legacies. Forget all these young guys who are just trying to get paid and trying to get their free agency faster. You have some guys, for example, Albert Pujols is trying to do 700 home runs and 700 and uh, 700 doubles. That's incredible. Only four players have 700 doubles and 700 home runs. Absolutely unreal. I'll get more into this list. It's now time for some green and gold history with our A's historian, Dade Feldman. Feldy, it's been a while. How are you? Well, I've been locked inside like the rest of everybody else and uh, just trying to keep sane. So basically, you've had ample time to come up with this new top 10 list. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> had a lot of time. And what we thought we'd do for this top 10 list is kind of the, uh, a variation of one-hit wonders, but in a baseball sense, one-season wonders. Guys who in, in their only season in the green and gold have the greatest impact. So guys who can only play for one year. And also, we didn't include, like, mid-season trades. Um, these are guys who are pretty much with the team the entire season. Um, and again, their only season. So a guy like Don Baylor, who played in 1976 and had a tremendous season for the A's, but he came back in 1988, so he does not qualify as a one-season wonder. So does that mean the Big Hurt can't be on the list? Exactly. The Big Hurt, not on the list. An unbelievable 2006, an MVP quality season, but he did come back and finish his career with the A's in 2008. So he is not qualified. Wow. I th- cuz he was he was like one of the first guys I thought about. So this is this is legit. You only got one shot at being an A in one season. One shot, one season, and not again because we're not including guys like Ray Durham and Willie McGee who were, you know, late season acquisitions. These were guys who were part of the club, who were brought in to be full season players with the team. All righty, honorable mention. So a little different today. Uh, we do have some honorable mentions, but we have one season wonders and we also have one season blunders. <laughs> All right. Guys who the A's brought in thinking they were going to be huge contributors and it did not work out at all. Um, and let me just throw a few names at you. Uh, going to the early 90s, Eric Shaw was brought in to be part of the A's pitching rotation. Did not work at all. Uh, this man was brought in to be the A's closer, Arthur Rhodes. Not good. Uh, probably one of the most disappointing A's, Matt Holliday. Mm. Brett Laurie. David DeJesus. And then my vote for the two worst, I think, as far as one season wonder, uh, Jim Johnson. Yep. I mean, this guy was coming off a 50-save season and couldn't get anybody out. 
and probably just because of the monetary value and what they expected out of them, uh, and they got nothing, and that was Ben Sheets in 2010. Yeah, Ben Sheets. Like, they went down and watched him throw a bullpen, then they gave him, like, $10 million, and the stuff wasn't there. Then he has Tommy John. You mentioned Jim Johnson. That's, like, another great example, like what we saw with Blake Trinan. Here you got a guy who's all world and he's doing it in a band box in Baltimore. And then he comes here. And as you said, he got lit up like a Christmas tree. It's crazy how year to year you could be great. And then you're just your BP. You are, especially with closers and, and relievers. And you'll see also on our actual list, will be somebody on there that the A's uh, got rid of just in time because they, they could almost sense what was going to happen. Um, it, it was interesting with Jim Johnson because even in his 50 save season with the Orioles, this was a guy who didn't strike out a lot of hitters. Didn't, his velocity wasn't his thing. It was about throwing a heavy ball and a sinker. And all of a sudden, that ball just doesn't get the same amount of sink that he's been getting because he doesn't have the velocity. He's going to get hit. And, and that's what happened with his year with the A's. And then it snowballs, right? Just every time he took the mound, the fans were all over him, and there was this sense of dread when he pitched. And it was, it was so bad. And it's sort of what happened with Arthur Rhodes as well. Arthur Rhodes was never a closer. You know, coming up with the Orioles, he was a middle reliever, sometimes starter. And the A's, after getting rid of Keith Folk, they needed a, a closer, and they thought Arthur Rhodes could fill that bill. And it, it just it never worked out. So do you have any more honorable mentions, or do you want to get straight to the top ten? Uh, just quickly, some honorable mentions. I think some guys who actually were good uh, for the A's in their one season, but – um, it was just one season. Guys like Rich Hill, uh, Tyler Clippard, Hideki Matsui had, had a decent season. Uh, Nick Punto had a decent season. Uh, Damian Miller, and then uh, a couple big names, historic names in A's history. Dick Allen finished his career with the A's. And Mike Piazza. You know, you look back at Mike Piazza's year with the Athletics in 2007, it actually was okay. Now, he missed a huge chunk with the shoulder injury, and that actually gave birth to the, the legend that is Jack Cust, because he came up and replaced him on the roster. But Piazza, when he was healthy and when he played as a DH, he was actually very effective. Um, you know, he finished his career with the A's, but Mike Piazza was, was almost made this list. The Hall of Famer. All right. Top 10 one-year wonders for the Oakland Athletics, number 10. Number 10 is a Hall of Famer. That's Joe Morgan. Joe Morgan came to the A's in 1984. He was 40 years old. He signs as a free agent uh, to play second base. And, yeah, it was a homecoming. But it was legitimate because in 1983 with the Phillies, he played the World Series. Uh, he didn't have a great year for the Phillies, but over the last couple of weeks of that season, he had 417. He had two homers in the World Series versus Baltimore. So for, even for a 40-year-old guy, uh, they still saw a lot that he could do. And he was also coming on a team with a young Ricky Henderson. And to have Joe Morgan and Davey Lopes, who was also on that team, kind of school Ricky and more and how to steal bases and how to be a complete ball player, they saw this as a plus-plus. And for 1984 and Joe Morgan, he batted third most of the season, played second base most of the season. Numbers weren't fantastic. He had 244. He had six homers. Uh, he did have 21 doubles. And even stole eight bases. Uh, he set the record for most home runs by a second baseman that season, uh, passing Rogers Hornsby. And Morgan's since been passed by Jeff Kent, Robinson Cano, and Ryan Sandberg. But 
again, he did what they needed him to do. And in his final major league at bat, on the last day of the season, 1984, Joe Morgan went out with a double. Um, it was just, it was a good season. I don't know if they could have expected any more from Joe Morgan at that point, but he did what they needed him to do as far as helping the young players on the A's. So Joe Morgan checks in at number 10. You know, whenever I see Joe, and I actually saw him on the sidelines this season at a Raider game, you just forget two-time MVP, great player, speed, pop. He wasn't a very big guy at all. No, no, little Joe. And for, for a good reason, little Joe. He wasn't a big guy. Um, but just he was, he was a gamer. He knew how to play the game right. You know, I know a lot of people got frustrated with him as a broadcaster. Uh, because he did not change with the times, right? Here's a guy who, who railed all over uh, the book Moneyball. He never read the book. I, I still to this day, I, I, he, I'm pretty sure Joe Morgan thinks Billy Bean wrote the book. Um, and that, that kind of, I think, soured a lot of fans on him uh, for good reason. I think you need to grow with the times. But as a baseball player, Joe Morgan was a Hall of Fame second baseman, one of the greatest second basemen of all time. Didn't Billy write the book and star in the movie? He did, yeah. He, he starred, he wrote it, he directed it. I think he also, uh, he was out there distributing it. He did a lot for that. <laughs> All right, number nine. Number nine is Scott Sanderson in 1990. Now, Scott Sanderson was signed as a free agent to replace Storm Davis. Right? And at the time, it really did feel like you could slot any pitcher into that number four spot in the rotation after Stu, Welch, and Moore, and you were going to get a great season out of them. Well, as we talked about with Blunders, they thought they could do that with Eric Shaw in 1991, and it didn't quite work out that way. Scott Sanderson, 34 starts, over 200 innings pitched, 17-11, and 11, an ERA under four. Uh, you know what? He did exactly what the A's needed him to do. And you talk about a, a fourth start in a rotation with over 200 innings. Scott Sanderson wasn't a, a five-and-fly guy, uh, and he had a pretty good track record coming into that year. Uh, and coming down the stretch, there was a question of who was going to be the third starter for the A's. Was it going to be Mike Moore, or was it going to be Scott Sanderson? Because Mike Moore, in, in the end of September, was, was bad. He was 1-3 with a 9.68 ERA, and that was a big question mark. Now, the A's did go with Mike Moore, and he pitched great in Game 3 versus the Red Sox. Did not pitch great in Game 3 of the World Series. Um, and Sanderson wanted to stay with the A's. But the A's, again, thinking they could just plug anybody in, Sanderson was due for a big raise. The A's didn't want to pay it, and they ended up selling his rights to the Yankees, and he made the all-star team with the Yankees in 1991. But 1990, Scott Sanderson, again, a, a, an A starting pitcher, I think gets lost in those championship years. He did exactly what it, you needed to do, and he did it better than a lot of people think. All righty, number eight. Number eight, I think this is another player who kind of gets lost in, in recent A's history because he played on a, on a strange A's team, and that's Adam Kennedy in 2009. Now, I say it was a strange A's team because you look at this, the 2009 team is the, we're going to get Matt Holliday and Jason Giambi's coming back, and we're going to find Nomar Garcia Parra and Orlando Cabrera. So what kind of direction was that team going in? It was hard to tell because you also had two rookie starters and Trevor Cahill and Brett Anderson. It was such a, a strange season, right, as far as the roster was made up. And Adam Kennedy wasn't part of the A's at, at the beginning of the year. Here's a guy who's a former 
ALCS MVP with the Angels, had three homers in a postseason game, but he was languishing in the Tampa Bay minor league system when Mark Ellis got hurt in the early part of May. The A's acquired Adam Kennedy, put him right into the starting lineup playing second base. Eventually he plays a lot of third base in place of Chavez, but overall he hits 289, 11 bombs, 29 doubles, steals 20 bases, plays all over the field, and is just a good, gritty ball player that really helped out, an, uh, like I said, a strange A's team. Uh, you know, eventually that team got rid of Matt Holliday and got rid of Jason Giambi and got rid of Orlando Cabrera. But Adam Kennedy stuck it out and, and was a very, very productive player for the A's. The end of that year, he ends up signing with the Nationals as a free agent. But you go back and look at 2009 and look at Adam Kennedy, that was one of his two or three best career seasons. This, this list is awesome. All right, so we got Morgan. We uh, we got Sanderson. Got Sanderson. And then Kennedy. All right, number seven. Number seven, we're going to the 80s now. And this is 1984. And this is a starting pitcher named Ray Burris. Now, Ray Burris was came up with the Cubs and was very good for the Cubs in the mid-70s. You know, with uh, 15 wins, 15 wins, 14 wins. He was a good, good starting pitcher. The A's acquired him from the Montreal Expos. Uh, for uh, a, basically a fifth outfielder type named Rusty McNeely. Uh, they thought bringing in a veteran starting pitcher was going to help this, this A's team. 84 A's team, this is not a very good team. But Ray Burris was really good. Uh, 28 starts, 34 games. He went 13-10, and 10, an ERA of 3.15, and again, over 200 innings. And you bring in a veteran starter. And I always remember just as a fan, when Ray Burris got the start, you always felt – like this A's team was, had a really good chance to win. You didn't feel that way with Chris Cotteroli. You didn't feel that way with Bill Kruger. But you felt that way with Ray Burris. And, and he did it. He had a 3.15 ERA in the mid-'80s, Portland in the Coliseum, really, really effective player. And eventually, the A's thought about keeping him for the 1985 season, but they're going to trade him for somebody else who's coming up on the list. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Number six. <laughs> Now, in December of 84, they trade Ray Burris to the Brewers for number six on our list, future Hall of Famer Don Sutton. Oh, wow. I think not many people realize that Don Sutton uh, pitched for the Oakland Athletics. This is 1985. Don Sutton's 40 years old. He's got 280 career wins. But he's coming off a season in Milwaukee where he went 14-12, and over 200 innings, 3.77 ERA. So he's still getting it done. And with the A's in 1985 and 29 starts, he goes 13-8, and 3.89 ERA, just under 200 innings. And that was just with the A's because the A's end up trading him in September, even after the postseason you know, roster deadline, to the Angels. Uh, what's interesting about that A's rotation in 1985 in August of that year, the A's rotation had 40-year-old Don Sutton, 42-year-old Tommy John, and 20-year-old Jose Rio. Two 40-year-olds and a 20-year-old in the A's rotation in 1985. Don Man. Sutton was good. They traded him to the Angels. The Angels at the time were just a game behind the Royals, and they just wanted one more veteran starting pitcher. Um, unfortunately, in Don Sutton five starts, the Angels went two and three, and they ended up finishing a game behind the Royals. The Royals team that won the World Series. 
Zod Sutton pitches three more years, finishes with 324 wins. He was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1998, but he had one year at the A's, and he was really, really good. And that Jose Rio slider comes back to haunt you in 1990. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we saw when they when they acquired you know nineteen year old Jose Rio, they knew that it's a world of talent. Uh, but they ended up using you know Jose Rio along with Tim Burgess to get Dave Parker. So really, a trade that worked out for both teams overall hurt the A's just because of nineteen ninety. The Cobra. All right, number five. Number five. Solid player. A long career with the Blue Jays. Comes to the A's in two thousand seven, and that's Shannon Stewart. The A's needed a left fielder. Jay Payton had left. He was part of the AL uh, West champion A's in 06. Uh, the A's needed a left fielder, and they got Shannon Stewart, who put up a 290 average, 12 homers, 22 doubles, scored 79 runs, 11 stolen bases, played 146 games. Uh, just an everyday left fielder who was, again, really, really good in his one year with the green and gold. And I think... I think for me, his most memorable moment was breaking up Kurt Schilling's no-hitter with two outs in the ninth inning. It was a day game in Oakland. Schilling was dealing. Abe hadn't had a hit. But it's Kurt Schilling, and nobody liked Kurt Schilling. And when, when, when Shane Stork got his base hit, I mean, just besides the fans going crazy, if you look down in the A's dugout and the A's bullpen, the players on the team were going crazy just to deny Kurt Schilling a no-hitter. So Shannon Stewart, he gets number five. Great year and a great moment. Yeah, he was he was a good player. He's a really good player. You know, long time with the Blue Jays, and he actually went back to the Blue Jays after the A's, and just always an effective baseball player. Number four. All right, now we're getting to it. Number four is a guy we've talked about a bunch on this team. He made our top ten uh, left fielders list, and that's Josh Willingham. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, his 2011 year with the A's. Uh, a guy they acquired from the Nationals in a trade for Corey Brown and Henry Rodriguez. Uh, they needed a left fielder to the A's. In 2010, the A's used 12 different starting left fielders, guys like Rajay Davis and Gabe Gross and Connor Jackson. Uh, they needed stability in left field. And Josh Willingham gave it to them in 2011. They also gave him 29 homers, 98 runs batted in, an OPS over 810, and a lot of talk in the media that he wanted to stay in Oakland. And, Townie, you and I both know Josh Willingham never planned on staying in Oakland. No, and I remember the interview that I did with him for the pregame show, and you could tell by the body language, you could tell the whole thing when he was telling me that, yeah, I'd be open to resign. It's like, no, you're not. No, I mean, he, he <laughs> wanted he wanted to go back east. He wasn't a West Coast guy. Um, yeah, yeah, but he did. He he was a force. That one year, he was legit. And he stayed healthy for the most part. He stayed healthy, and he turned it into a three-year, $21 million contract with the Twins. Uh, good for him. And he was, he was, again, good for the A's. and gave him that left field stability. Number three. Number three, another guy who made our top ten center fielders list, who I feel is, is much maligned in, in A's history, and that's Johnny Damon in 2001. You know, I think it, it's tough because people remember that Johnny Damon got off to such a slow start with the A's. This is this is a guy who in 2000, he had 327 with the Royals, just over 200 hits, 46 steals, 16 homers. 
Uh, and the A's made a big trade to get him, right? The A's got Johnny Damon, Mark Ellis, and Corey Lytle. They gave up Ben Greed. They gave up Angel Barroa and A.J. Hinch um, for Johnny Damon, who was going into his last year before free agency. Uh, but Johnny started as a left fielder, and this was always a mistake I think the A's made was keeping Terrence Long in center at the beginning of the year and putting Johnny Damon in left. Johnny Damon only had 228 over the A's first 67 games going into mid-June. Uh, he looked terrible. He looked lost out there. And the A's were not a good team to start 2001, right? They started 2-10, and 8-18. At this point, they're three games under. But they move Johnny Damon to center field, and they take off. They go 62 and 24 the rest of the way. Johnny Damon hits over 280. For the year, he scores over 100 runs. In the playoffs versus the Yankees, he hits 409. He's one of the best defensive center fielders the A's had seen at that point. Even Eric Chavez at the time calling him the best center fielder he's ever seen. Um, he, after he got moved to center field, had a tremendous year. And that 2001 A's team, in my opinion, especially in the second half was the best of those early 2000s teams, right? Because you had Johnny Damon and Jason Giambi. You had Tejada and Chavez who came into their own. They acquired Jermaine Dye to play right field. And you still have Mulder, Hudson, Zito. I, I just thought that point was so complete. And Johnny Damon, as a leadoff hitter and setting the table, uh, he was so, such a weapon. Uh, and even after the year, you know, Jason Giambi leaves, signs with the Yankees. There were some scouts who thought losing Johnny Damon, who had signed with the Red Sox, was a, was almost as big a loss as Jason Giambi. I remember when we had Johnny Damon on the show last season, he talked about his his time in Oakland taught him a lot about winning and winning baseball and being a good teammate and everything. That was a big year for his career as he would go on, obviously, with everything he did with Boston and New York. But you know, that one year meant a lot to him here in Oakland, kind of like how Frank Thomas talks about his, the, the, I know he can't be on the list, but his real one year here uh, may be his favorite of his career. All right, number two. Number two is Todd Stottlemyre in 1995. And I, I think people got to go back and look at the year that he had in 95. He was a guy who had been with the Blue Jays, but now he's a, he's a free agent. And this is the, this is coming off the strike year. So there's a bunch of free agents who didn't have any any spring training to go to, right? When the, when the big league camps opened up again, so he's at Camp Homestead in Florida where all these free agents are working out, and the A's go and they pluck him out of that free agent camp for only 1.8 million dollars on a one-year deal, um, and all he does is make 31 starts, and, and again a shortened season, only 144 games, but 31 starts, 14 and seven, over 200 innings pitched, and 205 strikeouts. No A's pitcher has had more strikeouts since Todd Sotomayor in 1995. It's uh, just dominant at times. Uh, he's the last A's pitcher to pitch, last A's starting pitcher to pitch into the 10th inning, do 10 innings against the Royals in 1995. Um, just a dominant force on the mound. And you go back and you read the stories about Todd Sotomayor. He had an anger problem um, when he was with the Blue Jays. And coming to the A's and working with Tony LaRussa and Dave Duncan really taught him how to focus his energy and become a, a dominant pitcher. And the end of that year, the A's offered Sotomayor arbitration. They wanted to bring him back, but they also knew they were going in a different direction with the team. This is a team that had now been, been sold. Uh, Tony LaRussa and Dave Duncan had moved on to St. Louis. And they thought it was best if Todd Sotomayor went to St. Louis as well to, to keep that relationship with LaRussa and Dunk. And Sotomayor went on to have a, a really 
really good career with the Cardinals and later the Diamondbacks. But that year in Oakland, when you go back and look, he was he was as dominant a starting pitcher as we've seen with the A's in the last 25 years. Yeah, you talk about uh, a little bit of a temper. Uh, my former colleague, now a professor down in Nebraska, uh, just talked to him recently, the great John Schrader. Uh, yeah. We always we had this uh, clip of he had talked to the media. John had been talking to somebody else. And John, you know, sometimes, you're like, hey, sorry, I wasn't here. Uh, follow up. And he just explodes. <laughs> it I was remember. one of our favorite <laughs> post-game things straight. And it was just like, this guy lost it. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that tape. John played it for me once. Yeah, he, he you know, he had a problem with a, with a bar fight when he was still with the Blue Jays. And I was reading an interesting story about how he learned how to focus everything with Harvey Dorfman, the great psychologist, uh, and just kind of changed his way of thinking. And he's actually had a really good post-baseball life, uh, starting businesses and making a lot of money in a lot of different ways. And a really interesting story and, and a really good age pitcher for his one year in the green and gold. Okay, we're down to the top spot, number one. My number one A's one-season wonder is Billy Koch in 2002. And you go back, you know, I'm sure a lot of people yesterday watched Game 20. Uh, MLB Cut 4 ran that yesterday on Twitter. Uh, and to see Billy Koch again, of course, get a blown save. But what he meant for that team in 2002, he threw in 84 games. He's in over half the games he pitches. Record of 11 and 4. He has 44 saves. Uh, at one point, he had saves in five straight games, pitching on four straight days. Uh, he wins the Rollage Relief Man Award, the Sporting News Fireman of the Year. Uh, he was a beast at the end of these baseball games. Uh, and we talk about, you know, guys like Jim Johnson who couldn't handle that, that, that ninth inning when he got to the A's. Billy Cox was the exact opposite. He was unbelievable in the ninth inning. But I think the A's knew with the workload that Billy Koch had in 2002 that he was never going to be as good as he was that year. So they cut, they cut their losses early, right, and traded him to the White Sox to get Keith Folk, who had a tremendous 2003 and could have made this list, but he also came back to the A's in 2008, so he disqualified. But Billy Koch, as good a year as a closer, uh, and the A's have had some great closers. They needed someone to replace Jason Isringhausen. Bringing in Billy Koch did the job, and and he was a big reason the A's won the West and also won 20 straight games. Yeah, I mean, you think about the amount of wins and the saves. Uh, that is truly incredible to factor in that many games. Wow. Okay, run them over one more time, your top 10. Our top 10 one-season wonders in Oakland history. Number 10, Joe Morgan in 1984. Number 9, Scott Sanderson in 1990. Number eight, Adam Kennedy in 2009. Number seven, Ray Burris in 1984. Number six, Don Sutton in 1985. Number five, Shannon Stewart in 2007. Number four, Josh Willingham in 2011. Number three, Johnny Damon in 2001. Number two, Todd Stottlemyre in 1995. And number one, Billy Koch in 2002 great stuff buddy we appreciate it and we'll talk to you soon all right tony take care dave feldman top 10 one year set up one hit wonders one year wonders green and gold history right here on a's cast coming up next we're going to hear from louis tiant the legend will join us right here on a's cast live 
This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Across the left field deep, Bam going back, looking up, he will watch it fly! And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! Goal for Yelich! Cody Bellinger hits one out! Pete Alonso, he's your home run derby champion! Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Louis Tion pitched from 1964 all the way to 1982. He was a dominant starting pitcher and has an incredible journey from Cuba to the big leagues. He has recently come out with a book. Here is my conversation with the legend. Our next guest here on A's Cast Live by far was one of the best pitchers of his time. 229 wins, a three-time All-Star, twice led the American League in the ERA. He's a Boston Red Sox Hall of Famer, and you could really make a case he should be in Cooperstown as a baseball Hall of Famer. The great Louis Tion is with us. Louis, thank you for coming on. We truly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, guys, to give me the chance for the opportunity to be in your show. You know, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Well, I think about your legendary career and, you know, we see you all the time on MLB Network, especially when they're playing classic games because you played mm-hmm. in so many great and so many big games. And now you yeah. have a book out, Son of Havana. I think about yeah. your journey to baseball from playing in Cuba, Fidel Castro, to getting over here to the United States and starring in Major League Baseball. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. A long journey, you know, a hard journey, you know. But, hey, I come out, like I said, I come out on the top. Thank you, God, they give me a chance, the opportunity in my life to to fulfill my dreams. You know, when you're a kid, that's what you want to do. Uh, I was, I want to pitch him in the big league. I want to pitch again, Mickey Mantle. Uh, uh, Minoso. Those are the two players I wanted pitching and that happened too. Okay. I know I have no complaint, you know, I have a good career. I do what I had to do and uh, and I do more than I thought I was gonna do in my life. Okay. <laughs> I think you got every day I live, you know. Well I, I think there had to be a lot of pressure too back then for a young Cuban pitcher to show up and you're you're playing for the Cleveland Indians what kind of mm-hmm. pressure was that like? I mean, I mean, just to get away from Cuba was life-threatening, but then you come to the United States, and when you get your opportunity, you know, to, to help the next generation of Cuban players, it was important for you mm-hmm. to perform well. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, uh, you have a two-bag, one to win, one to beat the feet. And uh, I never, I mean, nobody want to beat the feet. Everybody want to make it. Uh, no matter what, you know, and you do whatever you can, whatever you, is in your power to do, and and you're learning, you know, you know, every year you're learning how to do things and making it easy for you. And, uh, and like, you know, like you say, I come out when I was 17 years old, and, uh, you know, and then I go to Mexico three years, and then uh, I go to, I come into the United States in 1962, 
that's my first year, you know, and uh, <clears throat> I go three, two and a half years in the minor. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm lucky uh, I was in Poland when that happened in 64, and they called me up in July 17. You know, in Cleveland, I said before, Cleveland buy my contract from Mexico City. And they give me that chance to come in here and, uh, and pitch in the minor league and then get to the big league. But, uh, you know, you, you have to work hard. You have to have a determination. And there was a, a person I follow. I don't follow nobody. I want to be a leader. And I want to do what I have to do. And I, no matter what it takes me, I fight for. Uh, and I try to do my best. And I never give up. And I don't care what people say. A lot of people used to tell me, I don't think you're going to go nowhere because of the way you pitch. And look at what happened. I fully more. 25 years pitching profession. Almost 19 years in the big league. Nobody know nothing about baseball. And nobody know nothing about life. See, I, I, I don't see nobody here rig minds. That's what I can understand about people talking so much sometimes. And people don't know nothing about anything. They think they know. But you have to know yourself what you can do. The government is strong. And coming here to trying to get to the big league. And that's what I did. I worked hard. I had some tough time doing minor league where I had to go through the races and the, the discrimination, all of them. But, you know, I, I, I do what I had to do. And, uh, and that's what I, that's a payoff in the end. You make it, and then when you make it, everything changes, everything a little better. Well, down there, you know, and uh, I don't have no complaint. You know, like I say, baseball been very good to me, you know, <laughs> and God been good, but God been great to me, and still been great to me. Okay? You know, I have a good family, my wife, finally the best wife I can find in my life, you know, and uh, like I say, I, I, I don't have no complaint. You know, I mean, I, 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 I nothing, and nobody going to tell us life is easy. Life is, you got it up and down, but you have to fight that. That's what you have. That's how you get better. You know, that's when you do, you meet people, you, you go here, you go there, you meet the guys, you play with them, and you're learning for everybody. You know, just coming, like I told you, young kid, don't just play baseball. Baseball is important because you can learn a lot from baseball. You know, how respect, how be in time, how be a good person. You know, but uh, some people don't don't get it that way. They just want to play, and when they finish, they finish. You know, you can learn a lot of things. You can put them in you in your own life to help your life to get better. You know, and that's a, that's a, that's, a, that's a, what I did. That's what happened to me. And like, like I said, I thank you guys every day. They give me that mentality, and they give me that. No, I don't say power, but they give me that in my, in my heart. I was a strong person. I never believed in what anybody else said. You know, I want to know, and I want to find it myself. And I did it. Thank you, him. Yeah, whoever said uh, you weren't going to make it, uh, their credibility <laughs> took a big hit because 19 years yeah. and 229 wins, that sounds mm -hmm. like making it to me. But, but let's go back to when you first get here. And you're in the mm -hmm. minor leagues because now baseball has done a much better job of having a lot of Spanish-speaking coaches to help yeah. players. Yeah. But I got to yeah. think back then, as you talked about the racism, you talk about the language mm -hmm. difference, mm -hmm. you probably didn't have a whole heck of a lot of help. 
No, really. No, really. I only got one guy, and this still my my brother. You know, I don't have no brother. I don't have no sister. I'm the only child. But my friend and my brother, you know, Barry Levinson, I play with him, and we come in like a brother. And we still like a brother. Because he's still alive. And uh, he one one of the guy protect us. They don't let nobody out. The other players trying to be smart with us and stuff like that. And he get a step around the front and he tell him, hey, you miss with him or you miss it with this guy, you better miss it with me. You know. Uh, he was a, you know was a big guy, he was a small guy he's from New York. He's Jewish. So he's a tough kid. And he's still a tough kid. And, uh, you know, uh, he and me, his mother, he take me to the house, see the mother, the father, the sister, you know. And one day, I'll tell you the truth now, one day when he was in, in the father's house, the father loved me, and the mother too. You know? And then he told me, I don't understand this. My mom and dad love you more than they love me. <laughs> I said, yeah. I told him, because you're no good. I said, what? <laughs> but that's the same we used to do. Like I said, when you act like a good person, you're a human being, and you do what you're supposed to do, you respect your people around you. That's why you get back. People love you, people respect you. You know, and like I said, you know, when I play in Charlie and Bullying, and Charlie, don't forget it. It was tough. And Bullying, don't know Caroline. You know, people used to telling us, all, all friends used to call a name, calling saints to us. You know, uh, I used to go to my room and, and cry every day for about a month. Just to listen and the people, what the people said to us. And then one day I get out and say, you know what? What is, I know my thing. I mean, I cry every day, every night for almost a month. I don't do anything. They still, they still call me names and still call names to everybody. I say, Forget about it. I'm going to show people where the color is skin you know, have nothing to do with what you can do. Louis, thank you so much for your time. You're an inspiration. You're one of the great pitchers of your time. Uh, you had classic battles against the Oakland Athletics. We're going to help sell this book. I can't wait to read this book. Be safe, and hopefully we'll be able to enjoy a 2020 baseball season. Yeah, hopefully, too. You know, I don't know how long. I don't know how long we're going to be out playing, but I hope they come back. The sport come back. The sport is good for people, good for kids, good for families. You know, and the least you guys also to distract yourself, to go see the people you like to see, you enjoying that, you know. But hopefully that happens soon, and hopefully we go through this problem we're having now uh, through the, the sooner we can, and hopefully everybody okay. Thank you, Louis. Take care. Okay, you too, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for giving me your chance to be in your show. The book is Son of Havana, a baseball journey from Cuba to the big leagues and back. 229 wins and a career war of 66.1. That is legit. As you know, we are going to cover every single team in Major League Baseball and get the outlook of this team heading into the 2020 season before we actually 
start playing baseball again. We've started with the National League West. We'll move to the Central, then to the East. Then we'll come back and do the American League. Of course, we'll do the American League West last. So we've already looked at the Snakes, the Diamondbacks. We've taken a look at the Giants. And now we're going to take a look at the Friars, the San Diego Padres. Tony Gwynn Jr. is going to join us coming up here at 2.30. Last year, the Padres were 70-92. and 92. Got out to a pretty good start. They were hanging around 500. And then they fell apart in the second half, going 25-47. and 47. Life has not been good for the Padres. They have really, really struggled in recent years. Their five-year win trend is 74, 68, 71, 66, and 70. They have not had a winning season since 2010, and they have not been to the postseason. Y'all got to go back to when they won those back-to-back titles with like Klesko and Nevin and those guys, 2005 and 2006. That is rough. Nine straight losing seasons. Now, there are some positives when you start to look at the Padres, but, you know, right now, and that's something that when we talk to Dave Fleming or or Mike Farron and and now Tony Gwynn Jr., everybody knows you're playing for the wild card. Unless something dramatically happens, You are not going to beat the Los Angeles Dodgers. They're going to cruise to the West title for an eight straight year. And now you're just hoping for a wild card. And we don't even know what that's going to mean now. You know, could, could we even expand the playoffs to bring a little more excitement and have more teams involved with a shortened season where they've talked about adding two more wild card teams. If you're going to try and experiment as Aaron Boone told Sirius XM, the MLB channel, if you're going to experiment, this is the year to do it. Now, the thing is, you know, the the talent right now that's in Southern California, when you got Trout, you got Otani, you got Rendon, you got Pujols, who's a legend, you know all the guys on the Dodgers, Bellinger, Betts, Kershaw, Walker Bueller, And then you look down at San Diego, and if you've not watched Fernando Tatis Jr. play, this kid's a star. We heard it for years. You know, one of those, he's coming through the minor league system. Watch out. This guy is, this guy's next level. And he is. He's really, really special and super, super talented. And you're just wondering, can you mix that talent with a guy like Manny Machado. Manny Machado has had a terrific career. But it it is a career to where, for all of his talent, there always just seems to be something missing. And just from afar, not covering him on an everyday basis, whether you talk Baltimore, quick stint in L.A., and then now in San Diego, There always seems to be drama around this guy who is a terrific talent. I mean, he legitimately can play short now playing third, but he can play shorts up on an everyday basis. You know, he's like, he's got the Alex Rodriguez type talent. And what's he hit 30 home runs, six straight years. 
Is that what it is, Cody? Six straight years he's hit 30 home runs? Let me let me double check. I know when we last year we know he had the 30 when he wasn't quote unquote trying. So let me double check. Yeah, that was the thing. So we're at the winter meetings down in San Diego, and there was kind of a bad taste in people's mouths in year one of a 10-year deal. And then he comes out to the San Diego Union Tribune and admits that, you know, there are times he didn't play hard and that Jace Tingler and this new coaching staff that they have, uh, that's just not going to be acceptable. But you hear, well, yeah, I didn't play as hard as I probably could. Uh, <laughs> and it's in the first year of a 10-year deal. That's that. That's a, that's a bad sign. I know in buying or selling, we've actually had this question. Will Manny Machado spend the rest of his career with the Padres? I sold that. I think right now he, he found the one team that would give him the money, and I do believe at some point he will not be there. Uh, it's five straight years of 30 home runs or more. And so he's trying to make it six straight years. Yes, this will try to make it six straight years. Now, remember, they signed into that 10-year $300 million deal. They gave Eric Hosmer a year before the $144 million deal. Last year, Hosmer had a negative .2 war and an OPS plus of 93, so he was below league average. Where Machado last year had a, a, an okay war. He's at 2.6, but he had the 30 homers, the 256 average, but he had a 106 OPS plus, a number that you know I love looking at. So, But remember, he didn't try, and he still put up those numbers. What happens when he does try? What's, I really want to see what happens when he actually starts caring a little bit more about living up to being Mr. $300 million man and the face of the Padres franchise, well, for now, until Tatis overtakes him. This is a team that if they can get over 500, they're going to be looking at it as a, as a successful season. And, but we don't, you know, until we know how many games we're going to play, until we know how the playoffs is going to work, the scheduling is going to work, everything's kind of up there. But if there was going to be, if it was going to be a regular season, Ron Fowler, the executive chairman, came out and said, these guys got to win. If not, there's going to be some changes. And I think that's the shot across the bow to A.J. Preller, who has been the GM there for, for many years and has been up and down how he's built this team. They want to see some winning because they've been spending money. They want to see over 500. And if you want to make a case and you want to be optimistic, and I, for, 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 for my brother, this will be for my brother, even though he's not listening, um, Chris Paddock has ace-like stuff. They babied him last year because he was a Tommy John guy, but he could lead a staff. We know Garrett Richards coming back from Tommy John. He got into a few games last year, has the stuff. You start looking at Lamette coming back from, from Tommy John. He got into a few games last year, now ready for uh, a full season. They brought Zach Davies over with Trent Grisham. Davies can give you innings. So you start you start looking at it. Best case scenario is you start getting innings from these guys to get to, let's face it, this looks like it's going to be a good bullpen. Kirby Yates has been absolutely fantastic as the closer for the Padres. There's no question. 41 saves on a bad team. A 1.19 ERA was the lowest in their history. Throw in Drew Pomerantz and Emilio Pagan, who they've now brought in. 
if this young staff with mixing a couple veterans can just get the ball to the back of this bullpen, that's going to give them a shot. I like their bullpen. Kirby Yates led baseball in saves last year. He had the 41 saves, which led Major League Baseball, which is a little surprising when you think about it because he played for the Padres and they were 70 and 92, but he had an un- unbelievable year, as you mentioned. And then you bring in Emilio Pagan, who was very good on that raised bullpen that was you know, shut down all year long for them. Pagan had 20 saves pitching for the race, so he was ended up being their clo- their go-to guy in, at the end of games. You get Drew Pomerantz on the deal, you know, four years, $34 million, which, you know, is a little bit of money, but he was an all-star with the Padres a couple years ago in 2016. And you add in some of the guys – I mean, they lost Munros, who throws 100-plus miles an hour, which is unbelievable. But, you know, another – he's like Cindergaard. You, you go out there and grip it and rip it every, every time you're going to have Tommy John. I'm with you. I think if they turned it over to the bullpen – and this this year upcoming, and, you know, looking at the Dodgers and the rest of the division, the Padres have so much optimism around them with the young players and their rotation. You know, Joey Lucchese still young. you got Cal Contrell. You have uh, Mackenzie Gore, Morjan. Like, they have so many guys that could come up and, and play big parts for them if they figure this season out. But the, the biggest question for me with them is, what's Jace T- – I mean, Jace Tingler's never been a manager. He used to be a front office guy. He was the assistant GM in Texas before he was the major league field coordinator, whatever that title is. And then now he's the man. Yeah. Now he's the manager of the Padres at 39 years old. Who's Jace Tingler? Yeah. I remember when they announced him like, who? Remember when we talked about this a couple weeks ago? Never heard of him. The triumvirate of managers, how they're going to, they have not one manager, but three, meaning they don't have one. If you go by that logic, where they're going to use their bench coach and skip Schumacher and that triumvirate of managers because they want everyone to have different responsibilities. It didn't work for the Cubs in the 60s. Hopefully the uh, the Padres can buck that trend and uh, figure it out and have their first winning season in nine years because, you know, if they hit the 10, they're halfway to the record held by my beloved Pittsburgh Pirates who lost for 20 straight seasons. Well, the big news is what can Brown do for you? The brown and gold color scheme is back for the Padres in 2020. The same color scheme that they used from 1969, their inception, all the way through 1984. Because after that, they went to just like a brown and orange, and then came blue and sand. And it's just, they're back to the cut. The fans have wanted this for years. So they, they've actually gone out and, and modeled these new, the, the, the home whites with a brown pinstripe. And then on the road, they're gonna have a they're gonna have a primary brown, solid brown with yellow San Diego, and then they're gonna have a brown pinstripe for the road. So the the old school color scheme is back, and I know a lot of fans down in San Diego are happy about that. Hey, listen, as we're going through this division, we're gonna say the same thing every time. All these teams are hoping for wild card. They know they're not playing with the Dodgers. They're all hoping for a wild card. Well, earlier today, we were able to catch up with Tony Gwynn Jr., and he covers the Padres as a broadcaster, obviously former player, uh, but he does TV and radio. Here is my conversation as we break down the 2020 San Diego Padres. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live as we're previewing every single team in Major League Baseball, and we started 
with the NL West. We've done the Diamondbacks. We've done the Giants. Now we're going to do the San Diego Padres and a former Padre, a big leaguer, and now does television radio for the Padres. Tony Gwynn Jr. joins us once again. Tony, I know it's very odd times, but thank you for coming on to talk a little baseball. No problem. My pleasure at all. Anything to kind of get the mind off of, of what's going on in our country and in the world right now. Love talking baseball. Yeah, we decided that we were gonna we were gonna keep things going here. Our president Dave Cavill made the decision to get back on the air because so many people are cooped up inside and they want to hear something other than news. So we're hopefully giving them a great release. And we decided to really just we're gonna break down every individual team. And we obviously we have time to do it. So we've done two National League West clubs. Now this is our third, and we're doing your San Diego Padres. And when you think about the Padres last year people thought they were going to be you know they were one of those chic teams getting Manny Machado Tatis was coming up yeah. uh they people thought they were going to be be able to make some type of run out of it but really ran out of gas in the second half and went just 25 and 47 yeah it was uh it was a tough goal for for the pods in that second half uh it's one of the most exciting players in baseball Fernando Tatis Jr. um got hurt and missed a lot of that second half, but um, certainly disappointing finish. The start to the year, however, was, was I think, better than expected. So I, I'm thinking the Padres, you know, should we be able to get back to baseball? They're kind of hoping for to see what they saw in the first half of the season rather than the second half. Well, Ron Fowler, who runs the Padres, said earlier that this needs to be a season where – they need to see some progress. And now some people have kind of backed off of that because it's been a long yeah. time since the Padres have been in the playoffs, 05, 06, haven't had a winning season since 2010. And now, of course, we're going to have this a shortened season. Uh, what do you think the expectations are for the Padres going into 2020? I would have said before the season, uh, before we before this, everything started getting shut down because of COVID-19, I would have said, uh, being in the mix for a wild card would have been um, suffice. I think that would have fulfilled what, you know, owner Rod Fowler was, was asking for. And I know he's backed off of it a little bit, but there's still some, some pressure uh, to make this thing work. So uh, I, I personally believe should the, we get back to some baseball here in the, in the near future, uh, the Padres have an advantage to, to actually get – to actually be at in the running for a wild card spot. Look, the Dodgers are the Dodgers. They they had a significant gap between them and everybody else in the division last year. I think that gap probably has widened uh, with Mookie Betts and, and David Price being added to that team. So, listen, anything can happen. Teams could have a bad year, and that would certainly be something that would put the division back in play. But it's hard, to, it's hard to imagine the Dodgers not winning the division. So I think for everybody else, uh, it, it's a look at the, the, the wild card race. And I think the Padres have a type of roster that certainly could take one of those spots. Tell us how special Fernando Tatis Jr. is and who does he remind you of? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, Fernando Tatis Jr. reminds me of Roberto Alomar, um, he has a chance to be really, really good. And I know Roberto was a second baseman. In terms of athleticism 
and fluidity in the movement. He reminds me a lot of Roberto Alamo. Um, I think the sky is the limit for Fernando. I think ultimately right now, I think what most people are watching is can he stay healthy for an entire season? And listen, I, I remember being 21 years of age and thinking I was invincible. Um, I think, <laughs> I, I think at some point in time, he's going to have to get to a point where he's much, much more cognizant of his body and, and when to, when to go full throttle and when to dial it back a little bit, this is, as we all know, and maybe maybe this shortened season will benefit a guy like that because he can afford to go full tilt. It's not the marathon that it normally is, depending on how many games we get to play. But I think that's the one thing that could hold him back is is him not being on the field. I mean, he is so productive and so exciting when he is on the field. When the Padres don't have him in the lineup, He's he's certainly a guy that that leaves a huge hole that really can't be filled by anybody in this in this organization. Yeah, I like that comparison because years ago, a young Roberto Alomar, even though Gary Templeton was there, they envisioned him being a shortstop. Roberto yeah. and ended up, of course, being a Hall of Fame second baseman. So I do like that comparison. And then I think about Manny Machado. And when we were down, I got I got to see it down at the winter meetings in San Diego, and we were hearing about stuff about Machado. And I, I don't know if it was a good look talking about how your first year you maybe didn't give it your all in the first year of a 10-year deal with $300 million. I got to think that didn't sit well with Padre fans. I Listen, I think when it comes to Manny, I, I think there's a, a certain understanding of he, he is who he is. And I think um, – Although it might have been a little bit disappointing to hear him say that, you know, he, he, he didn't turn it on the way he should have. He wasn't the only one in that boat. And, and obviously it's easy to point out the guy who's making the most money and, and, and is, you know, you're probably the face of your franchise. But the reality is there were a, a lot of guys in that boat that uh, when you watch that team play in the first half and then you compare them to what you saw in the second half, it looks like two entirely different teams. So, uh, I, I, for one, I think many people around the organization think Manny's due for a breakout year. Uh, after we've seen this before, the year, the year before with Eric Hosman, you make the, the transition from the American League to the National League. You're seeing pitchers that you haven't really seen before, and that's advantage pitchers in every situation. Uh, I expect them to have a big year this year. And uh, I think with the, the staff that they put around Jace Tingler, uh, they're certainly going to be there to hold them accountable and, and 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 Manny has said as much so far when when we were at least when we were at spring training he said that you know this this staff that they have around won't allow for any of us to take the throttle off. Well, one guy the Padres pit. Well, there's two guys, but one I want to talk about here. Tommy Pham is a baller. We've seen yeah. him in the American League. He brings it every single day. He is a tough out. I remember last year in Tampa, I was with the A's down in St. Petersburg, and he wore the A's out in a series. I think that was a terrific pickup because it's that guy that brings talent, but he brings energy and toughness every day to the park. Talk about having a teammate like that. Yeah, that, that's, the, that's the signing to me that is going to be the game changer for the Padres, right? You got the talent. Now you need that guy that – no matter what day it is, no matter how many games straight he's played, he's bringing the same energy. And his expectation is that his teammates are bringing the same type of energy and toughness. So I, I've been in clubhouses like that. It raises everybody's level of play. It raises everybody, uh, everybody's toughness. 
And I think that's what Tommy Pham is going to bring to the table. I mean, I saw him in spring training. I did about four games out to four or five games. And I promise you, he played in all of them. He was the only guy playing in back-to-back-to-back like as soon as he was. And every at-bat was a 3-2 count. And for a young Padres team, uh, a a team that has some some veterans, but he's really the tone setter. Like when you see an at-bat put together the way Tommy Pham puts an at-bat, you'd be remiss not to go up and, and try to, to at least make the pitcher work a little bit, right? Because he's doing it every at-bat. I, I think that's been one of that's going to end up being one of the best signings uh, the Padres have made, or excuse me, trades that they have made. And um, I think he's going to do wonders for this Padres team. And I think about what could be a big strength in 2020 for the Friars is that bullpen. Uh, two former yeah. A's coming your way, Emilio Pagan and Drew Pomeranz. And then you throw in the guy, Kirby Yates, who uh, hopefully people in baseball understand how good he is. 41 saves last year that led Major League Baseball with a 1.19 ERA, which is the lowest in club history. Talk about the strength that is the bullpen for the Padres. Yeah, it's definitely a strength. The Emilio Pagan uh pick up, bringing him over to the staff, signing Drew Pomeranz, are going to turn out even bigger than they were because with Andres Munoz, who was the young kid, came up throwing 100 and did had a lot of success in his rookie season last year. He's out for Tommy John now. So the depth that they had, it, it was an abundance of depth in the relievers area prior to uh, everything getting shut down. is a little bit less depth. So, uh, I still think this is going to be the strongest part of the, of the ball club. You mentioned Kirby Yates, who's become one of the best relievers uh, in baseball, in my opinion, over the last two seasons. you got a, a, a vet like, like Craig Stammen who comes in and can pit, wear many different hats in that bullpen. You mentioned Drew Pomeranz. You mentioned Emilio Pagan. You have a guy like Jose Castillo coming off of injury last year. This bullpen has the ability, has the potential to be one of the best bullpens in the league, and that's without a guy like Andres Munoz, who, who made this bullpen pretty good at the end of the year. You know, it's sad, but every organization, you know, it's that dirty word, Tommy John. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just, you know, like Chris Paddock last year. I mean, this kid's super special, but you're going to baby him coming back from Tommy John, a guy that we saw for years in, in Anaheim. Garrett Richards are counting on him. Mm-hmm got Lamette coming back. You got all these guys in this rotation, but that's really much everybody's rotation. But talk about this rotation for the Padres, because if guys are healthy, you do have some real quality arms. We do. The Padres definitely have some 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 quality arms. I think you're going to see the range taken off of, uh, of Chris Paddock now. I don't know if that would be the same for Garrett Richards, at least early, because he, can, he actually made a couple starts at the end of the season uh, last year. And depending on how much they want to, you know, kind of baby him through that first part of the season, uh, we don't really know yet. But if everybody's up at full strength, including Nelson Lamette, they get a good pickup, in my opinion, like Zach Davies, who can come in and, and give you some innings. And when he's healthy, he's also been very good. At the back end, you got Joey Lucchese, who was a number two last year in this rotation. He slides to the five. Or Cal Quantrill, who showed very well, too, last year. Uh, this if those first three guys are healthy, uh, excuse me, the first four guys are healthy, this rotation has potential to be very, very good. And I think this this season will change the way front offices think a little bit because 
We're going to play a shorter season. That's what it looks like. And we've got two guys up here in Jesus Lazardo and A.J. Puck where we were thinking about if it was a 162-game season, they were going to have innings limits. They were going to have to baby him. And I think about a guy that everybody's talking about in McKenzie Gore for the Padres. He's just 21. He's got an electric arm. At some yeah. point, he's going to come up. Do you see with the shortened season, we may not baby these young pitchers as much? I, I could see that, and I hadn't thought about that honestly until you just said it in terms of Mackenzie Gore, but I think the plan for him going into the season was let him come out, get his feet wet in spring training, uh, then start the year at the minor league level, and eventually some point, second half, before the break, uh, you might see him. Now with the season being shortened, who knows what's happened uh, in a short second string train and show enough to feel to make this front office feel like the time is now. Now I will say, I doubt the Padres will push the time frame up any bit more than it already has been. So I would think he would have to show wonderful in order to make that roster. But I, no doubt at some point this year, you're going to see Mackenzie Gore and you're going to see him in this rotation. Yeah. Let's end on this as people have talked about how, you know, we don't know what we're going to see. Like, if they're going to take the playoffs into November, you know, you could have neutral sites like we see for the Super Bowl. You know, maybe you're playing playoff series in L.A., Anaheim, and and San Diego because the weather usually is still pretty good in November. Or you got roofs yeah. at Houston and in Arlington with the Rangers' new ballpark. I mean, we have no idea what, what this season and what the playoffs are even going to look like. We don't, and I think that adds to the intrigue. I think that makes it more exciting. I mean, there was already talks of adding wild cards later on down the line. Maybe they go to that now. Maybe they they find a way to, to have a neutral site come playoff time because come November are, um, are pretty chilly and <laughs> not necessarily baseball weather. So I think it adds to the injury. Nobody really knows what the season is going to look like. We do know both sides want to get as many games in as possible. Uh, what that looks like, we don't know. But uh, I, I just have a feeling it's going to be very creative and it's going to be something that we are going to enjoy, even if it is for just this one season. Tony, I always love talking baseball with you. It's it's a lot of fun, and I know a lot of people appreciate that uh, guys like you and me are back on the air talking about our great game and helping a lot of people here in Northern California who are on lockdown just like you guys are in Southern California and, and just be able to give them a release away from all the news because it's tough watching the news now. Be well, be safe, and we'll talk to you during the season. You do the same. It was an honor to come on and, and actually be able to have some baseball talk, and uh, you guys take care. Tony Gwynn Jr. So Diamondbacks, Giants, Padres, done. Monday, we'll be at, we'll be back from one to three. We're gonna do the Colorado Rockies, and then Wednesday, the Los Angeles Dodgers, and then we'll be done with the NL West. But the Padres going back to the old school brown and gold, and they still have some exciting players. They have arguably the best farm system, but when is it going to be enough to be able to go toe-to-toe with the big boys north, the Los Angeles Dodgers? Not sure when, but Cody, I got to tell you, everybody knows LA's so loaded. I mean, you're really going to – 
you'd, you'd have to have something really special happen for any of these teams to really chase down L.A. I agree 100%. The Dodgers are the modern-day Atlanta Braves, except they haven't won a World Series yet. We've talked about this already, Agnosium, but it's going to take a lot to take them down. And now, you know, they got Mookie Betts maybe for half a year, maybe for a year, maybe not at all. We'll see. But Bellinger's still young. They still have a lot of Walker Bueller's still young. Clay, they still have Clayton Kershaw, Justin Turner. Like their team is loaded. And they have guys in the minor leagues that are projected, like uh, our guy Gavin Lux, who was projected to be the greatest baseball player in the history of baseball from the way that he's been touted over the last like year. It's going to take a lot. I think that if there's any team equipped in that division to come close, it is San Diego. And I think that they have the farm system. They have the young talent. They have a good young nucleus already playing with Tatis and Machado still young. The addition of Tommy Pham will help a lot in their outfield. He's a very good um, hitter when it comes to, you know, um, making pitchers throw pitches and just, just what he brings to the to the team. Maybe you're hoping for a bounce back here from Will Myers. The guy that scares me is Eric Hosmer. He has the contract. There's talks of him potentially platooning. You're going to pay a guy $21 million a year who can't hit lefties to platoon with with, uh, Todd France. I think that's who their backup first baseman is. That's not a good sign, but I like the upside of the the Padres who are led by your guy, Jace Tingler. Who? Yeah. If there's one guy, has there ever been a manager hired with less sizzle than Jason? I mean, Andy Green, their former manager, was another guy. It's like, who? When they hired him, it's like, who is this guy? Yeah, he was the third base coach for the Diamondbacks, but like their last oh. couple, yeah, their last couple managers are like guys like, who are these guys? It's like that that thing we use for money or from Major League all the time. Who are these bleeping guys? <laughs> all right, you ready for a little buying or selling? It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. So yesterday, Major League Baseball was doing opening day at home. And they were opening with a lot of different packages of games playing and teams playing. But one of the things they were showing is uh, Justin Verlander's no-hitter. His first one. Remember, he has three. But they showed his first no-hitter that he threw against the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, we call it spending quality time, but we know what it really means. Someone is forcing everyone else to watch what they want. Usually, you know, you have children. They want to watch something like The Masked Singer or Frozen 2 a thousand times before you can pick what you want to watch. Well, yesterday, Justin Verlander took back control of the remote. Verlander decided to make his team watch, his his team or his family watch the 2007 no-hitter he threw, like I said, against the Brewers. He has three no-hitters. The other ones are Larry Corcoran, Cy Young, Bob Feller, Sandy Koufax, and Nolan Ryan. All of them are in, home, in the Hall of Fame except for Corcoran. Verlander threw his first no-hitter on June 12, 2007 versus the Brewers, where he struck out 12. Jeff Supon was the opposing pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. Buying or selling, Justin Verlander's family never watched his no-hitters. Wait, are you talking about wife? Why are you talking it, about like parents? It was his, it was like his it was Kate it was Kate and I I think they have a, they have a child and the child and their child. Like the child's like not even two years old yet. Okay, so you're telling she me that. So buying or selling, Kate Upton has never watched any of Justin Verlander's no hitters. Uh, I'm selling that because one of the no hitters they were they were still well, at least one of the no hitters they were dating. Yeah, well the one was, the one was in Houston. And she. And she 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But she was still dating him when he threw one in Detroit. He he threw one again. I think it was 2016 is when he threw it. So yeah, they. So yeah, I, I'm gonna buy that she's watched one of his no hitters. Okay. Well, well, uh, I I when I saw that story, I found it kind of fascinating. But you would be able to talk about that more than I would because I don't have children. So and I know your children like to watch the Mass Singer, and your DVR is always filled with stuff. So you would know it better than I would. So also during the time off. Um, Major League Baseball has made a lot of content available to fans. MLB TV opened up games from the 2018 and 2019 seasons. ESPN2 was running classic home run derby moments. Now, if you remember 20 years ago, we used to see Bonds, McGuire, Sosa, Griffey, Vlad Jr., or Vladimir Guerrero, and et cetera, take part. And baseball has done a nice job keeping the stars in the home run derby, unlike the NBA in the dunk contest, where LeBron James just refuses to do it year after year. In 2008, Josh Hamilton hit 28 home runs in the first round at Old Yankee Stadium, including 13 homers and 13 swings. Seven of his home runs went 500 feet. Hamilton went on to lose that derby to Twins first baseman Justin Morneau. Now, last year, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hit 29 homers in the first round, breaking uh, Hamilton's record of 28. Then in the next round, he hit 40 because he had to swing off with Jock Peterson. And then he ended up losing the home run derby in the final round to my guy, Pete Alonso. But he ended up hitting 91 home runs in the home run derby. Most ever. Buying or selling, Josh Hamilton had the best home run derby performance of all time. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to sell that because my favorite was Mark McGuire at Fenway Park where they honored Ted Williams and all those great players were kind of at the end of their careers. And Jim Tomei, who's so classic, sent over a case of Bud because McGuire won the big (laughs) (laughs) one at all. Yeah, no, that was my favorite. And he's hitting them. I mean, as great as Yankee Stadium is, McGuire's launching them over, over, you know, McGuire's enhanced. And he's launching them over the – over the monster. Griffey hit one so far out there, like no one's ever seen a ball go that far. I mean, that's, you know, I don't know when they started using different balls for home run derby, but obviously we saw the juice ball last year. They've been using a juice ball at home run derby for years. Hamilton's was awesome, but I'm going to go with a big Mac at Fenway park. Yeah. I think my, I mean, I went back and watched the one where they did it at Miller park and Sammy Sosa was hitting 500 foot bombs at Miller park. Um, I think um, good thing they didn't have Bernie the Brewer going down the slide because he would have been he would have been tired after the first round, just watching Sosa hit home runs. I think my favorite though it's recency bias, but I think last year's home run derby was the best that I've watched, just because with Vlad and Jock Peterson, Matt Chapman was in it. You know, Josh Bell from the Pirates was in it for me, so I got a lot of intrigue with the guy, the teams I like, and then you got to see the young, the nice young players who were in it as well. And I like that they always have local guys in it, like Carlos Santana representing the Indians. He didn't do very well, but he was still in it. And we saw Pete Alonso eventually win it and then break the home run record. But I remember that home run derby talking about in Fenway. McGuire was always great in home run derby. So was Ken Griffey Jr. He won it three times. He's looking to win it three years in a row at one point. That's how good he did in it. Now, you know, like I said, baseball does such a good job with getting the young talent to buy in. And now they have the million-dollar prize for fans or for the, the player that wins it. So it's even it's even more incentivized for players to want to do it. So I have one more before we get to the uh, my last one. And that is yesterday we saw the MLB Players Association and the players come to agreement on a deal. The most important in the doomsday scenario of a no 2020 season, 
the players will get full service time, including Mookie Betts, Trevor Bauer, Stroman, JT Romuto, and many others, no, no matter if games are played or not. So Mookie, so Mookie Betts, remember, everyone was ripping Heim Bloom for the deal. Well, he might just look like a genius. Betts could play only half the season for the Dodgers and then leave, or not play at all, and then they couldn't even get the full investment for him. So buying or selling Heim Bloom will look like a genius after this season. I'm selling. I heard someone talking about it, so I was like, all right, I'll just sink this one in somewhere because I, I just because we we saw how much outrage and stuff everyone or well, mainly people fans of the Red Sox were talking about what they got back. But who knows if he doesn't win any games or plays half a season, and those guys that the Red Sox got back actually pan out, it could be a good thing for them. But but I don't I I I, I don't get the correlation. You just lost your best player, no matter whether he plays for the Dodgers or not. You just lost your best player. You just you just let one of the best players. If he would have stayed in Boston his entire career, he could be one of the great Red Sox of all time. I don't know how getting rid of a talent like that just because let's say we don't play a season, let's say he stays with the Dodgers or he goes somewhere else. Like how you win because of a, a virus? I don't I don't get that. Oh, I'm with you. I just I saw someone talking about it. And I, I put it in here. There's actually one more. Then we'll get to one on Ace Cast. So tomorrow, ESPN is running the. They're running what they're calling Strikeout Saturday over eight hours, starting at uh, nine p. nine a.m. our time, twelve p.m. Eastern. They're going to air four twenty strikeout games: Roger Clemens versus the Mariners in '86, Kerry Wood versus the Astros in '98, Randy Johnson versus the Reds in 2001, and most recently Max Scherzer versus the Tigers in 2016. Clemens became the first pitcher to ever fan 20 in a nine-inning game for Seattle on April 29, 1986. He allowed one run on three hits. Kerry Wood had 20 in a one-hit shutout at Wrigley Field versus the Houston Astros. Randy Johnson dominated the Reds with his 20-strikeout game on May 8, 20, 2001, allowed one run on three hits, and the Diamondbacks actually won in the 11th inning 4-3. And finally, Max Scherzer notched 20-strikeouts versus the Tigers, his whole team, on May 11, 2016, allowing two runs on six hits. Buying or selling, Kerry Wood had the most dominant 20 strikeout game. The most dominant? I mean, it was a one-hit shutout. If I remember correctly, he was getting a very generous strike zone that day. True, he was. I went back and watched that game a couple I think a couple weeks ago. It was very I'm generous. I'm going to sell. Clemens, Clemens, against the, Clemens against the Mariners – was was that was dominant. He was he he had it all going that day. Yeah, and plus it was And he, he's done it twice. He also did it against the Tigers. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Clemens in that first one against the Seattle Mariners. That one was I mean And again I didn't see Randy Johnson against the Reds. Oh yeah. Well I mean they won they won in the eleventh inning. I know people want to say well he didn't win the game. Who cares? He still sure got twenty batters. Uh, I lo- I remember watching Kerry going back and watching Kerry when I was ten years old when that happened. So I wasn't really I watched the Cubs for Sammy Sosa, not for Kerry Wood, but Kerry Wood ended up doing it that year. But uh, it's 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 a good debate to have who had the better one. But remember, tomorrow starting at nine a.m. our time, they're going to start re- replaying those games on ESPN. Finally, during these times, we need something to celebrate. Tomorrow is the our birthday. Oh, and by the way, I'll say this: what makes Clemens a little bit different is that was still in an era. People cared about not striking out. Also true. I mean, now we're, you know, guys, we're seeing it all the time where people strike out and don't care. It's the three true outcomes. All right. Finally, during these times, we need something to celebrate. Tomorrow is our birthday. The birthday of Ace Cast on March 28th, 2019. Ace Cast went live. You would know you were part of it. I came two months later. 
Since then, we've launched different podcasts like The Path, The Build, A's Unfiltered, Green and Gold History, and of course, this live show, A's Cast Live. We became the number one podcast, downloaded podcast in baseball last season, and we couldn't have done it without the fan support and support of everyone we work with in the office, including Dave Cavill, Matt Pearl, Joey, Libatory, Ken, Vince, Ray, Alex Jensen, the face of the ports, Roxy, and everyone else that was involved. Tanya, whose birthday is on Monday. Tanya, whose birthday is on on Monday. We also, you know, Chris Giles, he was a big part of this with you and everyone else. We already heard from other teams about this, the Padres, Manners, and several others. The Sharks have started a smaller version of this as well, replaying classy games. Buying or selling five teams will have their own version of Ace Cast by the end of 2021. Five teams will be doing what we're doing? Yeah. I'll buy that. Yeah. Oh, after we, after, after we, what are we doing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. After the CBA, yeah, I'll buy that. Yeah, I, I, I think that there were pe- more people are going to see what we're doing, but I wanted to sneak it in there just because we're tomorrow's the birthday of Ace Cast, and we've had so many great moments, guests, and everything that's come on just on just on this show, but everything we've done with Ace Cast, it's been a great success in the first year. I mean, I've only been uh, here for ten I mean, months, but from what we started with and what we thought this was going to be, we knew at some point we wanted to do a live show. We didn't know it would happen this fast. Everything, because of you, the fans, has made us speed it up and make us make us step up our games because the de- the demand that you want and all those names you mentioned of everybody, uh, top to bottom, that's you know either helped us start this or or help keep it going. We can't thank them enough. This is a great organization. This is a great organization to work for. We're innovative. And it's a it's a very special time, and we're just going to keep growing this. And it's hard to believe we've done this much, and basically tomorrow a year, pretty crazy. Yeah, I'm with you 100. percent I want, and I think that the hard work of everyone involved in getting this going off the ground, and then you know bringing you and I on. You know, like I said, I came two months after AceCast launched, but it's, you know we've done a lot of great work with everything we've done on AceCast Live, all the different projects, everyone involved. Um, I couldn't be happier. And here's to another year plus of doing this. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to what the future has in store for us. And we would not be number one without you, Cody. Um, no, it's, we wouldn't be number without the fans. So don't, don't, I'm just a lower level employee. <laughs> We've already established this before. Okay. <laughs> Jeffrey Luno, lower level employee. Who? Yeah. Well, Never yeah, heard of yeah, him. Yeah. He, well, he's, uh, he's looking for a job, so we'll see. Well, actually he's suspended. So we'll get into that another day. Well, enjoy. We're going to do another A's cast live for you. Replay. If you're just joining us, you miss all the action earlier. And then after that, Dallas Braden's perfect game on Mother Day, Mother's Day. And thank you, everybody, for the support. It's tomorrow, one year anniversary of A's cast. Pretty darn special. Enjoy. We'll be back on Monday right here on A's cast live. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 